0: Father, thank you, Lord, for your word and our time to study it together. We thank you for your blessings, and we pray that you'll be with our congregation during this time, those who are sick, those who are traveling. And we pray, oh God, that we'll please you in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Exodus 25, and we're in verse 31, and we'll finish out, the uh, God willing, we'll finish out this chapter tonight. we're going back. We had gone a little further than this, but as I said, we were going to sort of look at the layout of the tabernacle, and then we're going to go back and examine certain parts of it uh, to get a little clearer understanding of it all. So in verse 31, now remember the picture, it's on the mountain there, and the Lord has called Moses into that cloud And it's just the Lord and Moses, and the Lord is giving all of this uh, detailed instruction about all this stuff. And you shall make a menorah of pure gold. The menorah shall be made of hammered work. Its base and its stem, its goblets, knobs, and flowers, shall all be one piece with it. Uh, this, This instruction from Yahweh is... Such instruction that this is to be a fine, everything in there is to be the best that it could possibly be by the best craftsmen that were available uh, to Moses. Verse 32, six branches coming out of its sides, three menorah branches from its one side and three menorah branches from its second side. Three decorated goblets on one branch, a knob and a flower, and three decorated goblets on one branch, a knob and a flower, for the six branches that come out of the menorah. And on the stem of the menorah shall be four decorated goblets, its knobs and its flowers and a knob under the two branches from it, and a knob under the two branches from it, and a knob under the two branches from it. So for the six branches that come out of the menorah, their knobs, their branches, shall all be one piece with it. All of it shall be one hammered mass of pure gold. And you shall make its lamps seven. So it's going to have seven lamps. And he shall kindle its lamps so that they shed light toward its face, and its tongs and its scoops shall be of pure gold, and he shall make it of a talent of pure gold with all these implements. Now see and make according to their pattern, which you are shown on the mountain. All right, pure gold, let's start there. We've moved from the brass back at the entrance of the tabernacle past the labor of cleansing, and now we're in the holy place, uh, and when you get in there, you're getting into where the presence of God is, and everything is gold. So the gold is uh, is is with respect to the deity of uh, of God, the deity of Christ, most particularly. When we see how the the thing will have a roof over it, and how it's you're going to have some heavy material covering it, the Holy of Holies and all. Um, we'll see that it would be a an otherwise dark place in there. So they're going to have to be able uh, to see. Later on, there are instructions. We're not going to look at that right now, but there are instructions on how they're to keep the the lamps trimmed and, and at, at what point they light them and what point they let them go out. And uh, and so forth. Secondly, well, let me let me show you some images first. Okay, now there's there's how if you take an average height of a man, this this was a pretty big uh, this was a pretty tall pretty tall piece of furniture here. Um, get my laser pointer. There we go. Okay, so the lamps, obviously on top, flowers, all the way down. Uh, now we're, we're not in. Uh, we're not going to go to the Book of Numbers and, and study some of these other points that are that are made about it. I don't want to get that detailed into it tonight because the point is is for us to to see what happens to the. People in their relationship with God. Okay, so it has seven lamps. All right, let's look at this next image. Um, here are some images of some of the furnishings of of the holy place. There, table of showbread, the ark of the, the ark, the cherubim. The rods, the, the the rods had to stay there because whenever the Lord, whenever the pillar of fire said, let's go, they had to run in and take it all down and go. So they had to pick that thing up and follow along. Same way with the golden altar here. And of course, here's the menorah, the thing that we're sort of looking at tonight. Um, now let's go to the next slide here. Now this guy, I forgot what his name was. He, he sort of put this together and this is... This is his way of seeing uh, what it means and the symbolism of it. On uh, on this side over here, the spring feasts. Uh, over here, the fall feasts. Uh, the sevenfold lamps, uh, starting with Passover, going to Tabernacles. Uh, speaking of the sacrifice of Messiah, in those outfit in those. Uh, Pictures, those engra- 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 engravings that were there, burial of Messiah, resurrection, first fruits, wave offering, birth of Messiah on this side, um, how the Lord dwells with man, how, the, how Christ dwells with mankind in his first and second comings, um, and all of the other things that he sees in the in the reflection of, of the meanings of the menorah. All right. Now in the Revelation, our Lord is seen in high priestly in a in a high priestly robe. He has the the his robe is more splendid than this robe, than that dude's robe. But um, his robe is the perfect robe that reflects the perfect work of the great high priest who is without father or mother, without genealogy, without end. Here in in the Revelation, okay, the Revelation has this throne room there is a temple in heaven. The Lord is when, he is... when he is first seen and his appearance is described by John, you can see that it is, it is high priestly garments, but it's not like this high priestly garment. It's more splendid. It's more perfect. And then, of course, the appearance of the great high priest, the Lord himself is 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 so glorious and splendid itself and he is seen then walking among seven golden lampstands so in the back to the book of Exodus in the uh, In the economy of Israel in that day, uh, there there had to be an understanding that uh, that as 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 far as it comes to God's people, the light had to shine in darkness. the The real thing is in the New Testament. The type is in the Old Testament. So if we want a clear understanding of what we're looking at in the tabernacle later the temple or high priestly robe or whatever, we go to the New Testament and we see what the New Testament says that it is because the book of Hebrews teaches us that the tabernacle was just a type, a pattern of the real thing that's in heaven. Now this this matter of the temple, the uh, attending to the temple uh and the existence of the temple. all of that speaks of God's um, purpose, God's intent to deal with sin and then finally put it completely, absolutely uh, away. So presently, we need a high priest in heaven because, I'm not real sure any of us have stopped sinning since we were saved. Um, With that said, naturally, the Bible teaches that presently the accuser has access to heaven somehow and accuses us. But our high priest, our mediator, doesn't allow that. So he's taking care of us. And one of the reasons, I think, maybe it's the primary reason, is my thought, when the woman was trying to hold on to Jesus who had been resurrected but not yet ascended and she saw him there after his grave, he said, turn loose of me, don't hold on to me, I have not yet ascended to my Father. Well, if you take that and compare it to what's said in Hebrews 7, you get the idea that Christ Well, not only that, but if you go back to this time in in Exodus, God has called these people out. He has saved them from Egypt. But they still need his presence, and they still need his help, and they still need to make sacrifices, and their sins still need to be dealt with. Okay, so Christ then, the true, real, great high priest, of whom this guy is only a type is is in 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 the current in the current uh, space-time continuum if you will Christ is keeping us saved so you know it, it's it's a beautiful thought you have to say you know this is God's word because Man wouldn't have thought of all these details. You know, we wouldn't have thought of it. We would have thought, well, it's, you know, he's, he, did, he did the thing at the cross. And, but now, and it's like I often say, he died to save us, but he lives to keep us saved. Uh, and this is what he's doing. Now, in the Revelation, he is seen examining the seven lampstands, which are the seven churches. So he's the high priest. He has the first and the last of those, of those jewels. The breastplate, you can see the jewels. He has the first and the last, which is the, the, Reuben, Benjamin, behold my son, the son of my power, the son of my authority. Interestingly, one of them is a sardius, which is blood red. That's the first one. And then the last one is a jaspis, a jasper. Boy, there's a lot of commentary on it. I personally, I go back to some of the older stuff, and the jasper of, of old was described as a diamond. So it, I believe that. Uh, that would mean the, the purity of, of the glorified, resurrected Christ... Uh, the blood and the glory. And he only has those two on, but those two, within those two, who are saved by his blood and kept by his power, um, are all entailed, involved, and included in his breastplate. He carries them. He carries us on his breastplate all the time. Our names, who we are, all the time. So here, now, seven churches. It's interesting. If you look at these seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Petitia, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Ephesus is the only one that's really a, a popular term with regard to New Testament names and places. The church at Ephesus, Laodicea, of course, is mentioned uh, What's what's her name from Thyatira? Lydia um, of Thyatira? Why why these why these seven churches? Write to the seven churches. To the church at Ephesus, right, then to the church at Smyrna, right, and so forth. You know, what about the what about the great church in Jerusalem at that time, or Antioch? Um. Or even the church at Rome, by the time ninety something A.D. had come around, uh, it's an interesting it's an interesting study and a, an interesting thing to uh, to do some research on. But if you study it out, you just about have you you, you know you just about have every kind of of situation that churches need to be aware of uh, in, those, in those seven churches. So the high priest, still with his high priestly garments on in the book of the Revelation, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying so much about that rather than this, because, as I said earlier, the real thing is in the New Testament. If you see anything about the high priest, that's the real thing. The high priest in the Old Testament is just a pattern. He's a type, but he's not the real thing. So if you see a, if you see a, a, if you see seven lampstands in the New Testament, that's the real thing. This is, this then is the Lord Christ personally attending to and overseeing and caring for the light that shines from those, from those, churches. If one of those lights goes out and it's not replaced, then there's a little darkness where there wasn't darkness before. Uh, So to me, there is a great spiritual lesson that is the contrast between light and darkness that goes all the way through the Bible that that starts at the creation, uh, light and dark. The point is that regardless of how dark things are, there is always a well-attended light that is directed by and overseen by God who has the attenders there attending to it and the supply of oil... Is 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 always there? If you if you think of is it Zechariah, uh, the olive tree and the the constant, the you know the the pipes are connected to olive trees, so that there's an unending flow of of power oil, which is the Holy Spirit. Christ, then the real one, is seen here in the Revelation. Watching over the work of the church, even to the point that he threatens to take one of the lamps away ephesus I think the first one um that's that's interesting as well because you know Ephesus did have some good did have some good points about it, but there were some of these some of these churches were just not too good at all, but he didn't threaten to take their you know um so Christ has his own reasons, but he, of course, is the head of his church. As we study these things then in the Old Testament, we're, we're just seeing uh, a portrayal of the ministry of Christ today. Right now, this moment, there is in God's heaven a temple. There are at least 7 angels, WA Criswell used to call them angel priests, because at the end of the of the last half of the tribulation when the bowls of wrath are poured out, one after the other of those 7 angels are seen coming forth from that temple, one after the other pouring the bowl of wrath, the bowls of wrath from God onto the onto the world. Uh, d- telling us that uh, the work of the Lord Christ uh, is, is being discharged according to the purpose of God so that finally after the thousand years and in the new heaven and the earth there is no temple. Vitally important is the truth and the proof that God points out the importance of light the important these the priesthood, you know they're like intermediaries, they're also representatives in a sense of the people, especially the high priest on the day of atonement. They are representatives of the people in a sense, and to see them attending to that lampstand and to see the instructions that are in other places in the Bible we're not going to look at it tonight, but the instructions on how and when to light uh, the menorah and so forth gives to us the spiritual lesson that there is always light in darkness, always. The darkness can become overwhelming at times, but even that's in the purpose of God um, to, to, to profoundly overwhelm the darkness with his light as if, if you're awake during this morning's message. Uh, a child is born, a son is given, now that wouldn't come for another seven hundred years like that. But still, the promise—what's that to God? What is seven hundred years to God? Right. The, the The bottom line is: light will shine; darkness will not win, and will not overwhelm it, and will not overcome it. Uh, and at the end of all things, in the new heaven and earth, interestingly, there is no night there. It says, and there is no night there i have you know this' is going to show you how i don't, I don't know what to do with my time <laughs> at night you can see the darkness of the expanse of the universe now what if there's no night? What will be the canopy of space that's that's your that's your homework center <laughs> um, what what will be the backdrop of space i don't know um I read this is this is a little this is not exactly chasing a rabbit but uh but this is doing something. I read from one guy who is a creationist expert, and he talks about the uh he talks about the uh well you won't. well, I'm sorry. we got plenty of grave sites out there for you, buddy. <laughs> Uh, I'm used to it. <laughs> Guy said that he believes he could be prouder than the pre-flood world. There, were, there was twice the there was twice the atmospheric pressure. Listen, am I right? Twice the atmosphere, and that the magnetic field was much stronger because we've been, we've proven it has a half-life, which means you can go back in time and see how much stronger it was at a point in time it is now. And we've—it's been proven that there was, you know, thirty percent oxygen in those in the pre-flood world, and that it was a—it was a perfect world for organic creatures uh, with that kind of oxygenation and that kind of barometric pressure and that kind of uh, magnetic field and so forth. And, now think about this. He said that when Adam and Eve would lie down at night and look up because of the conditions of, of the Earth's sky and the atmospheric, what they saw, they, saw, they were able to see the, the true colors of things in outer space that we can't see. And it was, his, it was his hypothesis that they looked up at a Christmas tree every night. It was just all these colors of things. But when we lost the atmospheric pressure, we lost the magnetic field that they had back then and some other things. The clarity of the colors was lost to us. Uh, And so that that being the case, maybe outer space will be a Christmas tree next time instead of black. I don't know. That's where I was headed with that. (laughs) All right. Thought of the day. Yeah, at least, this is true. <laughs> um, we'll, we'll pick that up next time right there, um, God willing. And uh, I've got a rehearsal I do have to go to here in a minute. So let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the wonder of it, for how you have attended to our salvation from everlasting to everlasting. And so, God, we just pray now that you'll strengthen us in our faith and help us to be obedient to your great commission and be good students of your word, and to be disciples of Jesus Christ as we ought to be. In whose name we pray, amen.